I just want to, oh dear. Okay, I just want to, before we begin here, um, the last couple of weeks in any kind of moments that I've had uh, after kind of I've done my normal stuff, I've been reading a couple of textbooks for a seminary course coming up in a couple of weeks uh, in January. And, and the focus of it has been bibliology, which is the study of the Bible. Why uh, is the Bible true? Why is it inerrant? Why is it author- uh, has authority over us? All these things. And it's been such a, a good, though very challenging read. Uh, challenging because I have to go to the dictionary every about six sentences because I don't know what that word means. I've never seen it before. Uh, even, you know, it's just, it's, I'm not an academic person, as shocking that is to you, I realize, um, but it's been so, so good and encouraging, but it's also reminded me of how lucky, how blessed we are to be in a church that holds the word of God high. Uh, in our world, especially in our time right now, as more and more denominations across Canada, uh, North America, and, and the world are are starting to throw out chunks of the Bible and go, well, this, this, uh, this is it's good, but it's not necessary, or, or that part isn't the most important thing. And, and, and we in this church, in our association across Canada, we stand firm that this is God's word, that this is everything that's true that we need to study so that we might understand what it means to follow Jesus and, and who God is. And, and so I'm just so encouraged with that. Um, I, I'm going to tell you one book that you should read, though. This one was the less academic one. Uh, so you don't have to Google or have a dictionary beside you. But it's just called Why I Trust the Bible by Bill Mounts. Uh, it is well worth your couple of hours. Um, it's about 200 pages, so it'll take a little while. But it is well worth your time if you've ever wondered, going like, what about translations? What about, you know, from the Greek or the Hebrew into English? And what can I trust and what shouldn't I? And, and if you have friends or, or co-workers or stuff who are like, you know, like you can't trust the Bible. It's been translated too many times and all these things. There's so much really good scientific inquiry, inquiry that's a hard word to say, uh, done on this. And it's just laid out so simply and plainly for you that, that even if you're not going to, you know, go and try and convince your friends, it'll maybe settle your own mind and your own heart and go, man, I, I can trust this. The Bible is the most uh, exhaustively studied book in the world. And, and just time and time again, it stands up. And so it's a really encouraging thing. So Why I Trust the Bible by Bill Mounts. Um, I think it's on sale on Kindle right now, but don't do it until after church. All right. Uh, we're going to look at joy this morning. And, and joy is a kind of as we go through this, this Christmas season. Uh, we talked about hope last week. Uh, we're Joy this week, peace next week, and on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about love really briefly and, and, and focus just primarily on the Christmas story kind of text in Luke 2. Uh, but this morning, we're going to continue something that I talked about last week, specifically that our circumstances shouldn't dictate these various things that we're going to talk about. So last week, we spent a lot of time talking about hope. And how our hope is not in kind of probabilities, our hope is not in our circumstances, but our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so regardless of how our situation is, and, and that's not meant to um, pretend like our situation isn't difficult if it is. It's not meant to minimize or trivialize the pain or the hurt that you might be going through. And we're going to talk about that at, uh, more at length this morning yet. But the point of all of this is meant that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the uncertainty, that the hope of Christ rings true in Scripture, reminds us that we have hope from now until the very end, no matter the circumstance. 
And so this morning is going to be very much a repeat of that, except with a different text, looking at the theme of joy and looking about how the same truth applies, is that joy is something that we choose, not something that happens to us. Joy is a decision that we're going to make in the midst of our situations. And, and I know that some of you here are going through a very difficult season. And in fact, I've talked with a few of you recently who, when I've, when I've said that kind of sentence, a difficult season, I've heard things like uh, difficult year or difficult decade or difficult life. And that's just the reality for some of us. Life is not exactly as we may be expected Life is not maybe as we figured it would be as we went through college, as we graduated, as we got a degree, as we moved forward thinking that this is kind of how my life is going to look. And, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, you look back and you go, didn't work out at all like I planned. But what I want to share with you, and you can turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read it in just a moment here. But what I want to share with you here is that As we go through circumstances in our life, we can either allow those circumstances to dictate how we feel, and we can look at this and we can hold uh, anger or frustration towards God because it hasn't worked the way that we expected or hoped, or we can look at it and we can say, I'm going to have joy amidst the difficulties of this circumstance that I'm facing or this season of life or, or this decade or whatever it might be, and going, God is at work and has purpose in the midst of the mess. And that's probably the greatest encouragement I can give you this season, is that no matter how messy life might be right now, that God is at work in the midst of that. He hasn't abandoned us. So just before we read this, I just want to kind of define joy, and I'm not actually going to give you the kind of Webster's definition or, or something like that, because I think any little definition doesn't do well. So what I'm going to do is kind of give you a vague definition, and then read through Scripture and try and unpack what that looks like. Because joy, I think, is one of the more complex emotions. We can go through very difficult seasons of life and, and yet have joy because, well, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer to the Hebrews says there that Jesus looked as he was approaching the cross, as he was entering his last days, and we know in, in Matthew 26, we know how difficult and painful all of that was, and, and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asking if there may be another way, and then, and then submitting himself under the will of the Father and saying, not your will, but mine be done. And then the writer of the Hebrews says, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured that. And so joy isn't this momentary happiness or, or an exciting moment of time. Joy is looking ahead to something that you know will be worth it, and, and so you will go through the challenges and the difficulties. I was reminded again last night, really stupid example, but really practical. I was reminded last night as I was watching hockey, and yes, the Leafs beat Calgary, and no, I wasn't going to say that this morning, but there we have it. I was reminded of uh, a story from the playoffs a number of years back where, and I'm not condoning this or saying this is wise or good, I'm just pointing out the illustration here, is there's a player named Duncan Keith who uh, blocked a puck with his face because it's the playoffs and that's what hockey players do. And he had like six or seven teeth that kind of came out and were falling out. And, and so what did he do? He skated off and they went to the dressing room, they pulled it and they sewed him shut and he missed, I think, four or five minutes of the game. 
and he came back out. And again, I'm not saying that's the smartest thing to do, real clear. But what I am saying is that for him, he looked at this and he went, the pain of this moment is worth it. The difference here is if they win, it's worth it. Well, for us, we know Christ is one. And so we can look at our circumstances. We can, you know, we can mourn it and we can go through the, the, the mental challenge of it all and and we'll need help and all of those things but we can look ahead and we can say i'm going to choose joy in the midst of this because i know that christ is one and i know that one day i'll get to be with him for all of eternity and that's greater than any obstacle that we have in front of us and so that doesn't mean you're happy in the midst of the hurt but it means that there's joy in the midst of that and i think if we're really honest with ourselves is we want to surround ourselves with people who have that kind of joy and that kind of hope. Because we see what they're going through and, and we go, man, how can, you, how can you still have such a, you know, a positive outlook on your, on your faith? Why doesn't it, like, hasn't God abandoned you? And, and they can say no and here's why and they can encourage and help us. And so this is where we end in uh, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read verses 12 uh, to, to 18. But just before we do that, I want to give us a little bit of context to the book. Uh, last Sunday, I got a chance to talk with somebody about, about getting a study Bible, and she already brought it this morning and was pumped about it, and I'm pumped about that too. The reason for a, a, a good reason for having the study Bible is if you go to Philippians and you have about three or four pages before chapter one, what is it all about? The context. Who wrote it? When did they write it? What were the circumstances going on uh, during that time? There's just so much helpful information in there. And Philippians is one of these very, very unique books. And you've heard me say this before, but Philippians is the only one of Paul's letters written in the New Testament that's written not to correct bad teaching that has crept into churches, but it's written just for him to express encouragement and hope and share his joy with the church in Philippi so that they would feel that encouragement and that their joy would grow. And so when you start to read the history and the context and you learn that actually Paul has been arrested and that Paul's been put in prison and, and prison then is very different than now, uh, many people just simply died in prison because they didn't take care of you in those prisons. You were on your own. Well, how do you get food and and various things that you might need to survive in the midst of that. Well, your friends would come and they would bring you aid and they would take care of you and help you in the midst of that. And the church in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison. And so they sent a, a big gift through um, one of the servants in the church there. And, and they took care of Paul. And Paul is blown away by their generosity and their kindness and, and their, them remembering him in the midst of his heartache. And so all of a sudden, when commentators talk about Philippians as the book of joy, and you go, man, Paul wrote this when he was in prison, when he was nearing the end of his life, when no one was around him, and then this moment of people came, and they supplied what his needs were, and he was reminded of how good God is. And so when we read these few verses here, think of it in that context, because I think if I was in that context, I'd be throwing myself the biggest pity party ever. And I'd be very upset, and I'd be very hurt, and I wouldn't be writing a book of, or a letter of joy to people. I would be pleading that they come and help me because I need help. But Paul has a different perspective. So we're going to read verses 12 to 18. It says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what, 
what has happened to me, so that's being thrown in prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Those are powerful words when you think of the circumstance that Paul finds himself in. He's in prison, hurting, lacking basic need, and yet his focus is not on himself. That In these first few verses, what you see is his focus is on what? The gospel is traveling. Through my situation, as, as difficult as it is, Paul says, no matter what's going on with that, is the gospel is being proclaimed to the whole imperial guard. Everyone knows why I'm here, that it's for Christ. And even all the prisoners here know. See, Paul understood something. is His circumstance doesn't dictate his joy because his focus was on sharing Christ, and you can share Christ anywhere. So his location changed, but his attitude doesn't. As I was considering those things this week, I was very, very convicted because my attitude changes real quick based on my circumstance. How many of you can relate? Sunday afternoon, you go home and you turn on a football game and you find yourself getting real angry at the TV. Why do we do that? I was watching the World Cup yesterday, and I love soccer, but I came to this kind of realization. One team wins and one team loses, and there's, you know, thousands upon thousands of grown people who are weeping and, and angry and so hurt, and it's a game, right? And don't get me wrong. I love sports. I love to compete, but how much, how big a piece of my heart does that take? And if I'm so angry that a team that I cheer for has lost something of which I've had no part of it, maybe I need to look in the mirror and reevaluate my priorities. And I think that's something that Paul understood. What's his goal? That the name of Christ would be brought to the world, and so he's excited. Look at this. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are speaking even more boldly without fear. So he's looking at it, not only is he going, praise the Lord, the gospel is going out. He's, he's looking at it and going, through this circumstance, others are becoming more emboldened to go and share their faith. To go and talk about the gospel of Jesus. And so for Paul, this is his attitude, is if that's what it costs for people to get emboldened, then so be it. Because the end result is far more important than my circumstance here and now. And it could be enough if it was just verses 12, 13, 14, and we would get the point. But he kind of doubles down on this. And here is where I think my own heart was exposed the most. Is he says there's two groups of people out there. Is, is some are, are being emboldened, and so they're preaching uh, the gospel knowing that that. Paul is suffering, and that, that in that example, I can do too, and, and I can go out, and so he's getting excited about that, but he's also realizing that some are out there trying to make Paul's imprisonment even more difficult. Their motives are not for good, 
In fact, their motives are not even for God. Their motives are simply to make Paul's life more difficult. And I love verse 18. (laughs) What then? Or maybe in today's vernacular, so what? Who cares? There's people out there trying to make my life more miserable. Who cares? The gospel is going out. And that's all that matters. Paul did not allow his circumstance, as difficult as I'm certain it was, he did not allow his circumstance to take away his joy. But notice that his circumstance doesn't improve. It doesn't get better, at least not in the short term. And depending on when we date, uh, when historians date the letter of the Philippians, we're not sure how much longer, but eventually Paul does, he gets killed for his faith. Circumstance doesn't change. His hope was not that, man, I really hope the gospel gets proclaimed so that the culture turns around and becomes more Christian and so that then they free me. That's not his motivation. And I think sometimes is that our motivation, especially in a culture such as ours, which maybe began with some Christian roots and has abandoned them pretty much completely. Is our goal that our culture would become more Christian so that we would have more rights and freedoms? Or is our goal that people would know Jesus? And again, I've shared this before, and and Ernie kind of mentioned this. There's many in the world who are showing up individually a half an hour apart over the course of some hours so that they can gather together in a small group to praise Jesus, even though it's illegal. And that, those countries, is where the gospel is growing the most effectively. Circumstance doesn't matter. Now, again, don't hear me saying that your pain doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as we go through that pain, as we go through that hurt, that we can look at this and and we can say, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? How can we change our motivations to saying, God, what, what can I do to proclaim your name in the midst of this hurt or in this season? There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that I think helps bring some clarity to this. This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Paul writes this in that letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which comes, sorry, with, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I don't know why you're going through the situation that you're going through. And if you're in the midst of hurt and pain and struggle, then my heart hurts for you. But I also want you to think that God is at work in that. And while we don't maybe know that exact purpose, we can be told a little bit of it here, is that as you go through hurt, that God brings comfort to you. And if you allow that comfort to enter in and your focus becomes on Christ, then all of a sudden now we can comfort others who are going through things. I think this is probably a a general rule of truth for us in our lives. Is when we're going through a very specific painful situation and we see someone else who is either also going through that or has come out of that, we tend to want to go hang out with those people. We want to know, how did you get through? How did you stay strong in the midst? How did you trust even though all of these things were happening? And it's not that they have all the answers. It's that they know how to comfort us in a very unique and special way. So I just want to remind you this morning that your hurt 
that you may be going through right now, the pain, the, the situation that you're in, the chaos that might be unfolding around your life, that God is a God of, of redemption and he can redeem that and he can use that for your good, but more importantly, he can use that for others' good. He can use that in your life that you might be an encouragement to others. Throughout the whole letter of, of Philippians, Paul doesn't even ask, like, man, just pray that, like, that I would just be released from here. His focus is that he would receive comfort and mercy, that he would have joy, that he would be able to share the gospel, that he would be bold to proclaim to all that he gets to meet who Jesus is. And I wonder for myself and for our culture, if we changed our prayer life into, God, could you help me be strong and endure this situation rather than would you rescue me from this situation, how different would our testimonies be? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but there's a, there's a verse in Matthew 6.21 where Jesus says something very simple but very profound. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think a modern way to say that might be what you think most about, you care most about. And so if we're egocentric in our thinking, and whenever pain or struggle or hurt comes, our first prayer to God is that he would rescue us from this because we don't want to have to endure or go through this because we would rather get back to living normal life or life the way that we knew it before or all of those things. I wonder if we've missed the point of what Jesus is saying there. I wonder if as we hear the words of Paul in these short verses in Philippians that we should be challenged with this idea it doesn't matter what I'm going through. God's at work within it. And so my prayer should be, God, how are you working in this moment? How can I be a blessing to others? And how can my commitment to you strengthen and grow in the midst of this hurt? And you know, the reality is simple is that if we want to grow and mature, then that means we're going to face opposition. We're going to face difficulties so that we would learn how to do that. And so our prayer shouldn't be, God, shield me from everything difficult in this world. It should be, give me the courage to face everything. If you're a parent, you know this all too well, is, is if you shelter and protect your kids from every little thing that happens and you don't allow them to grow and, and, and get stronger and and mentally stronger and all these things, then we're actually setting them up for failure. And that's not to say we flip the other end and we go, man, your kid falls off their bike and we go, suck it up, princess. That's not the goal, right? That's, that's, that has happened many a time to us, but that's not helpful. The point being is that we show compassion and sympathy, but we also teach them to grow and to be strong and to endure opposition and oppression so that when it comes spiritually to us, that we are prepared. When Jesus faces his own temptation in the beginning of the New Testament, as he goes out into the wilderness, how does Jesus face that temptation? Satan comes to him and he says, you know, like, I'll give you all of this, and Jesus responds with what? Scripture. With the word of God, he says, here is what Scripture says. I wonder if we have taken scripture, I don't, I don't wonder this, I've read all about it these last couple of weeks. 
we in our modern times have taken scripture and we've tried to interpret it not from the context in which it's written. We have interpreted it from our current context so that we can make it say whatever we want. And in that, I think it's made us very immature Christians, in the, especially in North America. I think the truth of it is this, is the Bible's a complex book. And it's written a long time ago. And it takes a lot of effort for us to read and to understand it in which the context it's been written so that we would grow. Do we have enough desire to say, God, would you help me grow and would you give me the courage and strength to read scripture that I might know what it means so that when I go through those difficulties and those painful moments and those seasons of life that continue and extend, that I can know the truth of what scripture says and that I'll be built upon a rock the foundation that won't be moved. And so that's my hope and that's my prayer for us. That as we, as a church, as we go through not just this Christmas season, not the season of Advent, but as we move into the new year and as we, we're going to study through the book of Exodus in 2023 and, and as we gather together in Bible studies and as we come together for worship practices and as we, you know, whatever it is, that as we come together, we might get a deeper passion and commitment for, man, I want to understand what the Bible says. I don't want to interpret it based on what culture says now. I want to understand it the way in which the authors wrote it and meant it. And I'm convinced that as we do that, we will mature more and more and that other people will see our lives and they'll see the joy that we have, the joy that comes from Scripture and from knowing Jesus, and they'll say, I need that. I want that. We won't ever be able to just academically convince people that Jesus is the only way. But we may be able to show them through our life in the midst of pain and hurt that God is the best way. I just want to say one kind of final thing as we close here. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 4. And I talked about this with a friend at Chile Night. Uh, again, it was already kind of written in my sermon from, from days before, but this, these verses have just been stuck in me as I've considered this. Is If you're going through pain or challenge, may, maybe this is your first Christmas without a loved one who has passed away. Maybe this is your first Christmas away from your family and you're, and you're by yourself. Maybe you're going through fill in the blank, whatever the difficult situation you're going through is is it's easy to feel alone and isolated, but we're reminded in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, we don't have to walk alone. Jesus knows exactly how we feel. If you're going through pain right now, he has gone through pain. And he can give you comfort and grace and mercy. And we find it when we draw near to Jesus. And as we do that, we can experience joy despite the circumstances. Because our circumstances suddenly are in a correct perspective. Again, it doesn't mean they change immediately doesn't mean that that situation that you're facing goes away. What it does mean is that it goes into a proper perspective and understanding of saying, this right now that I'm going through, this is temporal. 
but I've been created to live forever. And if I've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, then what I know is that one day at his second coming that I will go to be with him for all of eternity and there will be no more pain, no more hurt, no more tears. And then I know, and I can know academically now, but I will know practically then that nothing I faced on this earth was worth comparing with the riches of glory. I'm not suggesting you need to block a puck with your face. But I am saying that whatever you're going through right now, trust Jesus with it. Remember that your pain can actually bring encouragement to others as you choose to follow Jesus. And, and so for those of you this morning who maybe, man, you woke up this morning and life is good. Like you're going through a season of blessing or a season of, of abundance or a season of just, you know, not a lot of stress or whatever it might be. Is remember there are many that are on the other end of the spectrum. And you are called as a brother and sister in Christ to go and to help those who need help, to comfort those who need comfort. And so my prayer for all of us is that we will gather together as a family this Advent season, that those who are hurting would be comfort, comforted. Those who need, sorry, those who don't need comfort right now in the sense of things are going well, that you would look out to your brothers and sisters and say, man, I would love to be a part of the solution. And maybe that just means going over and having coffee and listening. Maybe it doesn't even mean giving advice. Maybe all it means is gathering together, reading scripture, and reminding ourselves of the truth that Jesus wins. And we know that. So may we, as we go through this week, may we choose joy. Not may we pretend that we have joy or may that we feel joy, but may we choose joy joy in the midst of the difficulties. If you have a specific this morning, my encouragement to you is please come find myself or Randy as one of the other elders here and share with us what's going on. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to help if we can in any practical ways. We want this church family to be a family that cares for one another. So don't go through this next week or this next month hurting without telling people. We want to be a family that helps. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul's outlook, his perspective, his joy, because his focus was on you and not himself. God, I pray for us that we would look beyond our circumstances to the hope that we have in Christ, to the reminder that Jesus is coming again, and when he does, all wrongs will be righted. But God, in between now and then, we know that all of us go through struggle and hurt, pain and heartache, many unique challenges. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to endure and, and what to do in the midst of that. I pray that you would gather the saints together, that this church family would be a family that helps and protects and cares for one another. God, I pray that you would give courage to those who need to ask for help today. I pray that you give courage to those who need to be a helping to others. May we look beyond our own circumstances, whether they're good or challenging. And may we see that our goal 
is to exalt Christ. And that we can have joy in the midst of our circumstance no matter what they are. So go with us with this truth today, God. Remind us this week of who you are and give us a passion and a desire to read and learn about you that we might grow in our relationship. God, we love you. Be with us in all that we do this week. Amen. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Just a reminder, there's snacks.